Versatile is the best descriptor for drummer Greg Bissonette. A Detroit native who now resides in LA, Bissonette's musical collaborations are nothing less than premiere. From Maynard Ferguson to David Lee Roth, Gino Vanelli to Ringo Starr, Brandon Fields to Jeff Lynne. Growing up, he and his brother Matt played in his father's band in Detroit. This eventually pointed him to college, where he refined his talent while studying at the prestigious North Texas State Music School. Soon after, he was chosen by Maynard Ferguson to play in his infamous big band. That in itself was an amazing accomplishment for a young musician. After moving from Dallas to LA, he naturally landed on the A-list by delivering both quality and consistency with his performance. He's equally comfortable on stage as in the studio and thrives in either environment. You'll hear his drumming on NBC's Friends, as well as several motion pictures and other TV shows. Inside Music Cast welcomes a truly great musician, composer, and human being, Greg Bissonette. Hey, Greg, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, good. Good to have you, man. Hey, it's so nice to chat with another guy who has uh, sort of a, another Midwesterner, but you grew up in, uh, in Warren, Michigan, which is basically a stone's throw away from one of the fastest highway uh, drives uh, around, I-75, man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I-75. Now, now, refresh my memory. Can you take I-75 all the way into Saginaw? Yes, you can. It takes you all the way to Saginaw, and also uh, they also call it the Dixie Highway. It takes you all yeah. the way straight to Miami, if I'm correct. Wow. <laughs> I know you hit Flint and all that other stuff. I was just uh, telling Eddie, for all you listeners, Eddie's from Saginaw, <laughs> and I'm from Warren. And back uh, in the 80s, when I played the David Lee Roth, when we played in Saginaw, you guessed it, Dave would sing, because he was the perfect showman, and he always knew what was funny to say, sag it up! The whole crowd, man, 25,000 people at the arena, they're just screaming, sag it up! Rock! Yeah, man. Oh, man, that's really neat. I mean, you're definitely a Michigan guy. I believe it. I don't call it the expressway anymore, though. <laughs> yeah, it's the freeway. If you say expressway, they'll say, what are you talking about? And if you say, hey, how about a pop? They'll say, what the heck's a pop? A soda pop? <laughs> That's right, a right. Or a Pepsi? Or... <laughs> and if you say murders, they kind of tilt their head a little bit, but they, they kind of get it. If you say White Castle, they go, oh, yeah, go to the grocery store. They're frozen oh. in there. <laughs> up, up in Michigan, it's, it's Hamburg. Hamburger. Right. <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> well, hey, I, just for the audience listening right now, we, we, were, we were actually going to connect with, uh, uh, with Greg at home on his home phone, but he's actually stuck in L.A. traffic, so we're doing this <laughs> via his cell phone. On the expressway, eh? I'm having a Coke. I'm having a pop on the expressway. <laughs> talking to my friend from Michigan, eh? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Hey, listen. Uh, let, let's let's talk a little bit uh, because we do, we want to cover some ground here pretty quickly. But in, in talking about your Michigan days, man, uh, uh, we we're gonna sort of take this sort of chronologically because I think you have so much information to to tell us, and I think our listeners are, are very interested in in uh, how you basically got into music. But uh, your dad was really, um, you know. Uh, even even today, your dad's currently is he does he still work as your drum tech? Well, I'll tell you, um, my father uh, actually my he's my best pal. You know, he he gave me my first drum lessons, let me start and play with his band when I was a kid, the Bud Bissonette band. Yeah. And my brother played bass in the band, and my my sister would come out to the gigs. My mom and dad met because my mom was playing vibes and vibes in his band. My yeah. dad had his 
piano player, my Aunt Carol, was a piano player, and, and Carol said, you should want my sister to play vibes. So my mom ended up joining my dad's band in the 50s as a vibes player, and they just traveled all around. When I, when my brother and I, Matt Bissonnette, the bass player, when we were in Maynard Ferguson's band, they would come to a lot of the gigs, all the ones around the Pontchartrain Hotel, everything in Detroit, Flint, Toledo, Shag, you know, all over the place, and they would <laughs> hang out. And then when Matt and I both got with David Lee Roth, they'd follow us all around. And then they, they, my dad retired. He was a bread salesman, but he also played gigs at night. He had the house band. You remember the Rooster Tail, Eddie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had the house gig on uh, the weekends of the Rooster Tail. And then he, they moved out here, and my dad saw a guy with a truck in my driveway uh, from one of the cartage companies, and the guy was taking my drums there, and he goes, why, Why you got to pay this guy to take your drums somewhere? I said, no, Dad, they have these recording sessions out here, whether you're doing a jingle or a motion picture TV show or somebody's demos or their album, you always get your drums brought there. It's in the budget that they pay Carnage. And he said, what are they paying this guy? And I, and I said, well, I mean, at the time, it was like 175 bucks a trip. Now it's like two, two fifty, three hundred bucks. He said, you mean to tell me if I put those drums in the soft cases and threw them in my Lincoln Town car? <laughs> and that's pretty Detroit. Lincoln Town car. And I went out and had a beer. We came back three hours later. I get 225 bucks a pop. And I said, pretty much, yeah. And he goes, fire these guys. I'm starting Bud's Cartage Service. And he said, he started his own credit service for 18 years, and Eddie, three years ago, we lost my mom, and my dad was just, she, she passed away of cancer, and he was just so incredibly lonely, and just missed her so much, and he got cancer, and then he, I remember him saying, I'm ready to be with the Lord and be mm -hmm. with your mom, and we all said, well, you will be really soon. He passed a little over a year ago, but I've got no regrets, because we just had the most amazing father-son relationship, and it couldn't have been any cooler. That's great. You know, you talk about your dad and uh, our condolences. I mean, we're so sorry about that loss. But like you say, you know, when yeah. you have no regrets, when you had a dad that basically pointed you and started you in your whole career. Yeah. I mean, when ever since you were a little kid, I mean, you grew, you started playing, uh, you know, not only drums, but you're, you were also a, a horn player, right? I loved horn because my parents, they, they took me to see Buddy Rich's band and Maynard Ferguson's band and Don Ellis, and we'd go to that place. I don't know if you remember Livonia, but they had this place called uh, Clarenceville High School. Yeah, all yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam and Woody Herman, they all played there. And, and so, yeah, I was really into trumpet as well as, as drums. And I remember when my dad passed, because he was playing at the Rooster Tail, mm -hmm. and then the next night he was playing down at the Ambassador Hotel, and he came out on a break, and he heard all these girls screaming, and he goes, what's going on? And his friend, the food and beverage manager, said, but the Beatles are staying upstairs. The girls are flipping out. And he goes, the Beatles, my son and my daughter, Kathy, and my other son, Matt, they love the Beatles. Any chance of getting me, check this out, not one, not two, but six tickets, I'll pay for them. And the guy goes, bud, six tickets. It's the Beatles. It's been sold out for a year, but I'll see what I can do. Come back at the end of the gig at one o'clock in the morning. He comes back at one and the guy goes, bud, I got good news and bad news. He goes, I got six tickets for you here, but it's going to be 36 bucks total. Six bucks. And my dad's like, well, I'm making 50 on the gig. I'll quit a 14. I got to take the kids to see the Beatles. And, I, and so we saw the Beatles the next night. And wow. on his, his deathbed, I said, Dad, you know, you got me into music. That is amazing. 
Buddy Rich. I got to play in the Buddy Rich Memorial Tribute Concert because of you and Mom. I got to be in the Ringo's band doing an all-star band tour and two other promo tours because I love the Beatles. You took us to see the Beatles. Thanks so much. And he just said, it was my pleasure. And we listened to a Buddy Rich track, and he was really moving his hand and kind of conducting the band. And not long after that, he passed away. Aww. And like I said, it was really peaceful and no pain and just no regrets man that is so cool wow. well stepping back still a little bit you continued your formal drum lessons with myron mcdonald in, in 1974 and subsequently you, you won a scholarship to attend the uh, interlochen school of music summer band program is that right yeah and i got to go up there during the summer of my between my uh, junior and senior year, and I met the guy that was in the bunk bed above me in the cabins because you stayed uh, in cabins up there yeah. in uh, uh, what's the name of the city? Y'all remember? What is that? Interlochen is in uh, Traverse City, Traverse City, Michigan, Michigan, upper, Michigan. Yeah, and you're in these log cabins and stuff. And the guy in the bunk above me, he was going to go to North Texas. I was going to go to North Texas. We ended up. He followed me, and I followed him. We would drive all the way down to Denton, Texas. His <laughs> car died in the parking lot of the dormitory. He ended up. His name's Tim Reese. He ended up. Uh, we were in the One O'Clock Lab Band together. Mm-hmm. He ended up. My brother and I recommended him for Maynard's band because my brother got on the band playing bass first right, right. with Maynard Ferguson. Then he recommended me to play drums, and then we together recommended Tim Reese. He was the sax player with Maynard, and then. For the last 10 years, he's been the sax player with the Rolling Stones. So that all went back to Interlochen. Holy cow, it's a small world, isn't it? It's a small world, but I wouldn't want to paint it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know those early years when you you were with, uh, you know, going to school or you you went down to to Denton and you guys um, were at North North, North Texas? I mean, that's one of the most serious music programs in the nation, you know? Uh, So so much talent has come out of that school. And uh, but uh, you know, right, right after during your your college days, I mean, you you actually had quite a bit of gigging going on, uh, even with your brother Matt, right? Yeah, because basically, you know, well, I came from a kind of an upper middle class family, but my parents couldn't afford to put three kids to college. You know, mm-hmm. my dad uh, was a bread salesman, and my mom worked uh, for an insurance company, and my dad played gigs at night, but they just they didn't have the upfront dough, and so I ended up, you know, I could play gigs. And what better training in Texas, you know, beautiful music community there. I ended up playing pretty much my whole four years of college, uh, some two, three, four, five, sometimes six nights a week. And I earned money to kind of pretty much put myself through school, which was a big help to our family. But, yeah, the Dallas music scene in Denton, Denton, Texas is like an hour North of Dallas. What an incredible music scene in Dallas. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. no kidding. Hey, Greg, are you putting uh, your, your groceries away? <laughs> yeah, I'm putting my garbage cans away because I, I live in a really nice, kind of cool neighborhood out here. And one last day, so if they see too many garbage cans, they go, What's with that this and that guy over there? He can't even put his garbage cans away. You can hear that. I put two away. I put the recycling one and the, uh, the, gr- the, the, uh, the trash one. I'm going to wait on the green one. <laughs> We're wondering what the heck's going on in there, man. An earthquake. An earthquake. Yeah. Oh, That's man. too great. That's good. You know. This is all about sounds and studio work. And, you know, you got to sample that, man. It's the garbage can right. sound. 
Hey, listen, you you, you talked about uh, of uh, you know in school. Now, in, in, in the music you know scene in Dallas, I mean, you played for one of the funkiest bands in Dallas, Buster Brown Band. I mean, Jim Casey and, and Kelly McNulty. I mean, those man, those guys are what a sound. You know about those guys? Hey, man, th- those guys. I was listening to some of the tracks, and I'm like, that, that's some serious stuff. I mean, how'd you hook up with them? You know, that's that's, that's well, it awesome. Was an audition, and uh, basically. I was playing a gig at this place called the Strictly Taboo, and it was a jazz club that uh, was in Dallas, and they came to hear me play in this jazz gig, and I think they thought, oh, man, no way. This guy's not going to work in our funk band, because it was a real fuse. Oh, yeah. Band, we were just going nuts with fuso stuff. And then I went and did the audition, and I really worked hard at learning the material, and I played... The parts, like they were doing Stevie Wonder songs and yeah, right. George Duke songs and Patrice Rush and Earthland and Fire, and I just learned the songs just like the record because I, I know that's what is always important in a band, and I learned their originals like the record, and they went, wow, you don't sound like the same guy that was playing all these whacked out fusion grooves. We want you in the band, and then that ended up being just a really awesome gig there, and it was. I'm just blown away that you know about those guys. Because <laughs> Kelly McNulty is an unbelievably funky, Stevie Wonder-ish kind of singer, and Jim Casey is a really super funky guitar player. You know, my 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 question t- for that was really more uh, more of interest of uh, you know were was you know getting into a funk sound. I mean, had you were you were you at this time already immersed into that that genre of that uh, soulful funk? Yeah, or did well, you you know, growing up in Detroit, you had CKLW. Did you get that in Saginaw? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was the Motown rec- radio station, station, you know? So it was Detroit was just oozing with funk and, and soul music, and I was a humongous fan, especially of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. And in fact, I always thought, someday I'm going to start my own horn band and call it Break, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> <laughs> it never... took a minute to sink in. <laughs> took a minute to sink in. But anyway, no, I love Earth, Wind, and Fire, and I just really, you know, went to see them all the time, yeah. played along with their records, yeah. and and just my other favorite band, Chicago. of course, besides the Beatles, was Chicago. Yeah. I was a nut over the band Chicago, and my brother and I were such geeks. We had this band, and it was... Trumpet, trombone, sax, yeah. guitar, keyboard, right. um, percussion, the vocalist, the whole instrumentation of Chicago. And we would play the high school dances and stuff, playing Chicago songs like Beginnings and Make Me Smile and Dialogue. <laughs> right, right. 25 or 64. And we get this. We had T-shirts. And we bought the Chicago iron-on emblem. <laughs> and we ironed it on. And right next to it, we ironed on or maybe sharpied on the, the Roman numeral two. Yeah. We guys, we, guys, we were Chicago too. Ah, oh, that's great. <laughs> but you guys, you later changed your name to something like Grand Park Circus or something like that? Yeah, yeah Grand Circus Park. There's that's actually great. a little park in downtown Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's called Grand Circus Park. And there was another rock band called uh, uh, Metro Parkway, which is 16-mile road when you get out kind of by, like, by St. Clair Shores. So we, they were a really cool band, and they could play Frankenstein. And they had flash pods that went off when it was... <laughs> so we had to call ourselves something with Park. They were Metro Parkway, so we were 
Grand Circus Park. That's great. <laughs> Did you happen to catch uh, the Chicago Earth, Wind, and Fire tour when it's when it's passed through the last few years? Never live, but I saw the. I got. I bought the DVD. Yeah. You know, Danny Tiff and the original Chicago drummer is one of my closest friends. Oh, cool. And so is Tristan Bowden, the drummer that took Danny's place. Yeah, yeah, Danny yeah. Left. Right. So, I love those guys, and I actually run into the Earth, Wind, and Fire guys once in a while. I opened up for Earth, Wind, and Fire with Steve Lucas there. We did a tour over in Europe, and Verdine used to think I, I used to make him laugh because I'd walk up to him, you know, and he'd go, hey, man, you're the drummer in Steve Lucas's band. I said, yeah, man, I'm great. You know what? He'd say, what? And I'd say, his name is Lucas of the Galaxy. <laughs> I came to meet you and hear you play. And he'd just start cracking up and Anything for a laugh, you know? Does that guy look like he's on stilts when he's playing bass? He not only looks like he's on stilts, but I think he has to run around the shower to get wet. <laughs> 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 he, if he stands straight up and down, he looks like 6 o'clock. I know. <laughs> I know. He's amazing. He's amazing. He's got so much energy. I know. Yeah, he's Verdine, man. He's so funky. But anyway, yeah, that was that was a good transition just because of all the... You know, the love of the music. I tell people, you know, um, I teach drums for Cal State Northridge out here. I have mm -hmm. a few students, and I tell them, look, man, if you want to play jazz, you got to listen to jazz, you got to love jazz. I've, I've given a drum lesson or two to a guy that's a, a jazz drummer that goes, I want to do a rock tour. And I say, well, cool. Do you want to, I mean, do you listen to rock? Do you love HGDC? Oh, no, no. Blood Zeppelin? No, I never listened to that. Well, why do you want a rock tour? Well, because I know they pay more than the jazz tours. <laughs> you know, ridiculous. You know, you gotta listen. And I know rock drummers that, hey, I want to do a jazz gig. It's like a baked potato. Why? Well, do you like jazz? I don't really like jazz, but well, why do you want to do a jazz gig at a baked potato in L.A.? Well, because when I go to those jazz gigs, man, everybody sits around, and it's a small club, and when the drummer plays a solo, they all stand up, and it's really... So you moved to L.A. from Dallas in around 82. And, and you know, at that That's point, right. you hooked up with a, a few fellow drummers who were playing some pretty big things like Meyer and Grombacher for, for Pat Benatar, Mark Craney with Gino Vanelli, and uh, Doan Perry from uh, Jethro Tull. Yeah, and they were just, you know, Doan and, and Myron are still two of my best friends. We lost Mark about five years ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. He had uh, a bunch of complications, but he was a diabetic when he was like 14 years old, and he lost his 
kidneys and all kinds of stuff went on with poor Mark. He was an inspiration. He, I was a roommate of his at his house, and we had this drum club there where everyone would come over and jam, and we called it the Woodland Hills Drum Club. Yeah. And uh, I met Myron Graubacher on the street on Sherman Way, and he was going into pawn shops trying to find an old used telly. And I was like, hey, you're Myron Graubacher, the Pat Benatar drummer. And he's looking like, oh, no, this is a stalker guy. And then I finally <laughs> told him, you know, I'm, I'm a drummer. I'm from Detroit. I played with Maynard Ferguson. And then he kind of stopped and listened to what I said. And I said, do you teach? And he goes, no, I don't teach. I don't read music. I go, I read music. I can show you how to read. Oh, cool. Will you show me some rock stuff? And he said, yeah. And so we we hung out and became best pals, and we're still best pals to this day. Very, very and same with cool. Doan. You know, Doan Perry is one of my best friends. And gosh, the two of those guys are just unbelievable drummers. They have the fastest, most powerful hmm. double bass chops you could ever imagine. Thank goodness. Wow. I want to mention a couple uh, people that you've you've sort of gigged with a little bit, and uh, and as I mentioned these names, go ahead and expound a little bit about what was it like playing. Like for instance, the first one is is Maynard Ferguson. You know, I totally grew now, up. Now, 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 can I do the thing like on the couch in the therapist's office where you hold up a picture and I say, "Come on," and you hold, hold up another one and I go. M16 machine gun. Exactly. <laughs> Spaghetti. <laughs> okay. uh, how many words can I use? Uh, I, well, we'll leave that up to you, your discretion. But, you know, what I was going to say is, you know, I we're pretty much, me and you are exactly the same age. In fact, I just looked at your birthday, you know. And uh, chances are that. 1959? Exactly. I'm an April guy. I, I think you're, what is it, November, December, or 59? I'm June 9th, so you're an old guy, man. You're too much. I'm old. over the they hill, man. <laughs> hey, listen, but I, w- I was just going to tell you that, you know, I remember those days, you know, listening to the Maynard Ferguson albums, Chameleon, Primal Scream, and all those real classic, you know, the the ones yeah. where Bobby Militello on those and all that. Tell wow, us a little bit yeah. about, about your experience, because I used to see these guys, they used to come through Elkhart, Indiana, almost every yeah. year, and used to watch Maynard, man. I just loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, you know, let's think. Why did they? Why did a big band come through Elkhart, Indiana? Let me think. Sober. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I was a big band fanatic. And Maynard, you mentioned Bobby Melantello, Chameleon, Primal Scream, yeah. Conquistador, MF Horn yeah. One, MF right. Horn Two. I was a humongous Maynard ge- geek. And uh, I, I knew I would I would kneel down to the bed every night and say my prayers. Please, God, help me be the drummer in the Maynard Ferguson band someday. And you know what? If you pray long enough and often enough, and God wants you to do something, you know He got me that gig, man. Yeah, right. And Maynard was the coolest leader to work for. He just his way of of telling you guys that you need to work on something would be he'd go and put a gig tape on for a, like an eight-hour bus ride, and you'd all go, oh, no, I did this wrong, I did that wrong. He'd never correct things musically. He would just let us listen to the gig tapes. Yeah. Oh, what a super great man, and what an inspiration, and I just loved playing with Maynard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, a recent guest of ours is uh, Brandon Fields, and you've done some work with him. How about this? Last week, he got together all of his musical friends, and we went to the Baked Potato, and we recorded a night with Brandon Fields' live album, just doing all the songs from the 80s, 90s, and up to the present. And we just had a really fun birthday party. Oh, at cool. That club, oh, doing a live album. Tell, well, cool. tell us a little bit about that. What, yeah. what, what kind of stuff did you play? Well, Gary Novak, who's a great drummer, he yeah. played with Maynard Ferguson a few years after I did. He played with Chick Corea. 
He played with Alanis Morissette. Mm -hmm. He and I kind of shared, as they say in the music industry, we shared the drumstick twirling seat toward. We we shared the drum <laughs> chair. Uh, we we shared the, uh, the 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 chores of of stick spinmanship. <laughs> we, we were the two drummers that, that shared the stick-wielding spot that exactly. night. And there were a bunch of sax players, Albert Wing and Brandon and, and some of the other guys that Brandon works with, but Barry Manilow's band, Walt Fowler, mm -hmm. playing trumpet, um, some great piano players, and it was just a fun, fun night. Man, that's very cool. <laughs> that's cool. Another guy, uh, you did some work with your brother Matt for Gino Vanelli. Tell us a little bit about that. Gino Vanelli, yeah. brother to brother. You mentioned it earlier oh, with Mark oh. Cranny. That's the album for me with Gino. That it album sure just changed my life, man. And anyway, I, I really uh, was so honored to get that gig. I went in and got that gig with my brother on bass. And my girlfriend, Karen Child, on keyboards, we, uh, we practiced, the three of us, in Mark Cranny's garage when he was on the road with Tower Power. Yeah. We practiced in his garage, and we went in and kind of got the gig as a built-in rhythm section. That's really cool. And then, uh, of course, there's some guy named David Lee Roth that you did some work with. <laughs> and Dave, man, that was another gig. I'll tell you what, I w when I first moved to L.A., I spent years every night praying, God, on my knees, help me get a cool rock gig. I love <laughs> rock and roll. I'd love to be in a band like Genesis or Van Halen or Journey. Well, Phil Collins wasn't going to leave Genesis, and, and he didn't need another drummer. But that was Van Halen. <laughs> Whip out your driver's license. You know, he's, he's got that gig sewn up. He wasn't going to leave. And Steve Smith was entrenched in Journey. Right. What happens? Dave leaves Van Halen, starts his own band, and by the grace of God, I play with all these different people. I was working with Vinnie Vincent, and then he said, hey, man, you should check out Dave Roth looking for a drummer. I said, who's Dave Roth? He goes, David Lee Roth. I go, David Lee Roth? He's in Van Halen. No, man, he quit Van Halen, and he's starting a new band with Steve I and Billy Sheehan. And then Steve Smith had left Journey, and a buddy of mine... Um, you know, I introduced me to Steve, and we became friends uh, back on the Maynard Band. And so Steve recommended me to Billy Sheehan. They had just done an album together. Vinnie Vincent recommends me to Steve I. And as you guys know, that's how it works in the music yeah. business. It's not who you know, it's how well you know them. So right. I got this audition, and the next thing you know, I'm sitting there auditioning with Dave. And the night before, I went over to Steve I's house. I go, man, is there any way I could get some copies of songs you guys have been working on? Yeah, come on up. And he gave me a cassette of like 25 songs that they've been demoing in Dave's basement. And I wrote little charts on all of them. Stayed up real late and wrote sketchy charts with the tempos and the kicks and stuff because I, I love reading and transcribing. And so the next day I'm playing and stuff, and Dave comes in and he goes, how did you learn 25 songs? These guys just found you, you know, yesterday. And I said, well, I just kind of took a cassette from Steve, and I, I wrote out charts. He goes, you wrote out? You mean you read music? And I said, yeah, I read music. He goes, where did you learn to read music? I said, well, I went to North Texas. He goes, yeah, that's a great music school. Dave is a brilliant musicologist, man. Nothing gets by him. He really knows his music. And he goes, I thought I was dead in the water. He goes, what, what was your last gig? What's the last thing you, you've done? What have you been up to, bro? And I said, well, this is going to blow it. I've been on the road with uh, Maynard Ferguson, and I'm just hoping he probably won't know what that is. I'll probably think it's some hard rock band. And he goes, 
Maynard Ferguson, the great jazz high note lead trumpet player with the really great big band. He goes, bro, if you can power that big band, surely you can power the three of us. Welcome to the band. Way to go. Cool. That's cool. That's so cool. That's a very neat story. I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of David Lee Roth, we've, we've got a question from a listener in Portland, Oregon. And I, his name's Damon Markley, and I think he's looking for some dirt. Uh, he, wants to, <laughs> he wants to hear about your craziest tour story uh, when you were out with David Lee Roth. <laughs> My craziest tour story has to be when we landed in Australia, and Dave was getting into rock climbing on the skyscraper tour. And he just kind of casually looked at me, and he goes, Hey, man, you want to go climbing with me this weekend? Sure, Dave. All I needed to say was sure, Dave. And the next thing you know, Steve I and Brett Tuggle and my brother are sitting in the Gold Coast near in, in near uh, in the in the super warm sunny part of Australia, sipping colored drinks by the pool. And I am up. I'm on, I'm on another flight. Like an hour later, come on, bro, come with me. We get on another flight and we go to the south of Australia. And it was the opposite there. It got colder as you went south. And we're freezing, and we're, we, Dave hires the only Australian to ever climb Mount Everest, and we go down to the, the Grampians mountain range, and, and we climb this mountain called Mount Arapiles, and I'm way, 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 way up on top of this mountain, looking down, going to be belayed backwards on a rope off of this mountain, and I went, I think I'm going to walk down the mountain and practice going up it. But Dave would just look back, lean back, and he was going off the mountain backwards, trusting his life to the guy below who was oh running the ropes. God. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he's an adventurer, man. He's, he's a great, great guy and a great friend and a great singer, songwriter, showman, brilliant, brilliant guy, yeah. super brilliant, well-read guy. He's also, um, you know, and he does a lot for the community. He's an EMT that goes around, saves people's lives on New Year's Eve when they get in an auto accident. His dad was a brilliant doctor that helped pioneer laser eye surgery. Wow. Dave is a sharp cookie, man. That's interesting. Speaking of another uh, a great band that's, I mean, just what a great show. Me and Rick are really huge Toto fans. And uh, in 95, uh, when uh, when Simon took uh, Jeff's place, uh, you know, as, as drummer, he, he sort of got, got ill or he got injured. And, and you, uh, you took the gig, right? Oh, that was a blast. I had just done... Um, some work with Steve Lukather mm-hmm. a couple weeks before, you know, at the Baked Potato again yeah. with Dave Garfield's band and Los yeah. Lobotomies. Right, right. Yeah, Jeff Picaro had passed away. Simon was a drummer, but Simon hurt his back real bad yeah. and couldn't go on the road. So, man, what a blast. Being over in Europe for four months, touring huge venues with Toto playing Rosanna and Africa and Holding the Line and all those great songs. Yeah, like you mentioned, it led to a really uh, cool relationship between you two. And uh, you t- talk about this. You know, you you played with him on a lot of stuff during that time, like his Luke album and uh, Sentimental, and like right. you mentioned, Los Lobotomies. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've worked with Luke for probably fifteen, twenty years now, at least. And we worked together two weeks ago. Well, now it's been like more like three weeks, but we played on the Mark and Brian Christmas show. Mark oh, and right. Brian is this rock radio station in L.A. Yeah, and they have a big. Christmas show that they do um, live on the air at the Nokia Theater downtown for 7,000 people. And Steve and I were the house band, and the rest of the band was Slash on guitar yeah. with Steve, Mark Bonilla on guitar, 
Um, Jason Bonham, John Bonham's son, also played drums. Lee Sklar played bass. Um, Keith Emerson played keyboards. We did Carnival Number no. 9. It was just a blast. Wow. I, you know, I've never heard of any of those guys. <laughs> Me either. Oh, that's, that's funny. Well, I got to tell you, Rick, Eddie, I'm a little embarrassed right now. What's that? Well, I just realized I'm name dropping a lot. You know, I'm talking about David Lee Roth and Keith Emerson and all this stuff. And a buddy of mine a couple of weeks ago kind of busted me out and he says, man, you know, you really shouldn't name drop. Name dropping is jive. It's corny. It's egotistical. It's just not good. And so I'm not going to do it anymore. This, this really good buddy of mine told me about it, Bobby. Um, Bobby De Niro. You might have heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to do it. I had to go there. You guys are laughing, so you, you know, you're a good audience. Hey, man, this is an interview. I mean, this is, I mean we're asking, we're, we're feeding the questions, no, so we, don't worry about this, you know. <laughs> we, want, we, want, we want the name dropping, so no, no problems. Hey. Okay. <laughs> it is what it is, though. I mean, you've, you know, it's, it's, you've had a pretty uh, incredible roster of people you've played with over the years, and it's, you know, we're, uh, I mean, it just, I, you should name drop. <laughs> it's, it's, it's part of your career. I mean, this is, yeah. I mean, this is, this is part of, of who you are, and, and part of their work is, based, uh, is basically inclusive of, of your work uh, in, in their work, too. So, hey, man. It's, okay, it's, okay, okay, Miles Davis. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's another one, man. Next. Oh, next. my God. Yeah, next. <laughs> I've never worked with him. I just wanted to say his name. Oh, oh I know. I say, Hey, let's let's talk about one of the probably the most influential live albums that me and Rick just oh, we just love it, man. It's it's live in Osaka, of course. Uh, oh. You played with Larry Carlton, Steve Lukather, and and actually a, a former guest of ours, Chris Kent, who we love to. Uh, oh, I and, love Chris. And man, uh, what a great soulful bass player and. My funky brother from another mother. Yeah, <laughs> we we chat with him constantly, and uh, he's such a good guy. And uh, and uh, my goodness, that that must have been just an amazing experience for you that that uh, that 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 whole tour, you know. Yeah, the tour was a blast, and we didn't know up till the last couple of days that we were even going to record. Mm -hmm. Lucas and Larry just said, "Hey, you know, we we ought to just record this and get it." a Japanese uh, company to come out, like, you know, one of those remote trucks, and they pulled up to the Blue Note mm -hmm. with their microphones and their lab coats, and it made it sound like a million bucks. Yeah. And then Steve I, I was already on his label, and um, Steve uh, Lucas and Larry Compton knew about his label that he had, Ray, Ray Shear and Steve I had a label called Favored Nations, uh -huh. and they wanted to put it out on that, and next thing you know, we're at this party. We're throwing a party just in case it won a Grammy. But we're thinking, it's not going to win a Grammy. <laughs> and I walk in the door a little late at the party, and they're watching the broadcast. And they're screaming, we won! We won a Grammy! We won a Grammy for Best Pop Instrumental for yeah. Room 335. It was just mind-blowing. Yeah. I got to see that tour uh, up in Chicago. Um, a, a small, small little club called Martyrs in Chicago. And I uh, stood right up there at the front of the stage. And uh, you, were you on that tour? Oh, oh, that was a drummer named Gary. Oh, Gary. I can't remember oh, who the drummer was. Tall guy, really good drummer. Yeah. He was Cher for a long time years okay. ago. Gary. Anyway, 
Really good drummer, good guy. He, he he did that tour. Okay, that's what I thought. Well, hey, um, you know, speaking of Steve Lukather, I was in contact with him just today, and uh, uh-huh. he, he wanted me to. I told him we were going to be talking to you, and he wanted me to pass along uh, this this little uh, note for you and our listeners. And he said, "This is a quote: uh, Greg is one of my all time favorite drummers, and is also an amazing person. His vibe exudes love and humor and passion in everything he touches, and is a total pro. I wish." And then he says, "I wish I could afford to have him with me on all all the time." <laughs> <laughs> is it, is it, is Luke, it a, that is so cool, man. He said, "I've known him that since." Is so cool. He said, "I've known him since around the time uh, he first came to L.A. and I've used him on many records and live. We toured with my Luke record in '97. He did Sentimental with me, Los Lobotomies, and countless sessions, and filled in for Simon when he fell ill in '95 on the Tambu tour." He said, "I loved wow. playing with him and always will. I love him and all of his family, and uh, one of the greats for sure. And tell him I said so." No, oh, that's wow, great. That's man. awesome. I- I don't know if my head's going to fit through the door of my bedroom now. <laughs> you know, well, with that said, uh, maybe you could return the favor. Give us your thoughts about Luke as a player and as a person and as a comedian. <laughs> oh, man, he makes me laugh. Steve Lukather makes me laugh more than anybody. I'm all choked up now, guys. I got, that, was, that was sentimental. Forget about sentimental. No, but... Um, Steve makes me laugh more than anybody on the planet. Oh, yeah. And when I hang out with him, I go, why don't we just spend every day hanging out? Because <laughs> laughter is the greatest, you know, thing and the greatest feeling on the planet. Yeah. Steve just always knows how to say the funniest thing. We did a gig uh, two years ago together. Nathan East and Steve and I played <laughs> at this big, huge outdoor jazz festival by Dracula's Castle. Okay. In Romania. Really? We're playing in Romania, and we're driving in the van to the gig, and Steve has us all just busting up. And Nathan East and I, we're pretty good with our Rodney Dangerfield. We know more Rodney Dangerfield <laughs> lines than you can imagine. And Steve is just cracking us up. But he's actually on the way to, at the airport. We're getting ready to fly over there. We're going to the lounge, and we're getting ready to hang out. And he goes, you know what, guys? I'm Romanian. I just found that out in the last couple of years. My family, it was like Lukasovsky, or whatever, but he's Romanian, and we're going to Romania. And we're in Japan and touring with the Luke Tour, or with the Larry Luke Tour, and um, man, going out and hearing this Beatle band called the Parrots, and we come back, and Steve has those fake Billy Bob teeth in his mouth, and there's guys out there waxing the floor of the Capitol Hilton where the Beatles stayed. And yes. Steve walks over, hey, my name is Bo Cephas. You know what? He's a little bit of Jack Daniels in this hour. And he's just saying, all of a sudden, his guy's freaked out, looking at him. He's, he's watching the, the wheel, trying to get away from him. He's, hey, hey, don't run away from me. I got a question for you. Hey. And he's just, he will put on an act to make any, you think I'm bad for a laugh. That guy, he has so much joy and so much passion Steve is passionate about music, and when he plays, that joy, that comedy, that laughter, that joy and zest for life yeah. just comes out of his fingers, man. <laughs> He's one of the most soulful guys I know, man. I've, I've seen him with his Billy Bob teeth in before. He, they, they used to post a lot of that stuff up on when they were on tour um, on their Toto Network site. And, uh, oh! There's some funny clip. There used to be. I don't know if they're still there anymore. There used to be some funny stuff, behind the scenes stuff from their tours, and it was just hilarious. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs>
a little about one of uh, your solo albums, uh, Submarine, which came out in 2000. And, you, you know, you had some amazing guitarists, oh, yeah, you know, particularly playing on that album, like Frank Gambale, Steve Vai, Mike Landau, Robin Ford, Joe Satriani, and several others. Doug Bossie is in there. Um, you know, this by itself makes Submarine such a diverse collection of songs. I right, mean, exactly. was, it, was it difficult to get all of these guys lined up for this project? No, I mean, they were all friends of mine anyway. And I called them and you know, in L.A., so many people, hey, bro, I'm doing a solo album. Oh, no, the minute you hear somebody say, yeah. I'm doing a solo album, you usually have to run, because <laughs> they go, and bro, you know, I'm doing it all myself, you yeah. know, and there's really no budget, and you're going, <laughs> oh, I got a mortgage payment, I have two kids, yeah. So I took the approach of, Steve I gave me, I think, 30 grand to do the album, which, you know, isn't a ton, but it sure worked. Sure, yeah. And I said, guys... I want to pay you what I make, what everybody makes, double scale, which is in L.A., it's, well, in America, it's 250 bucks an hour, 750 for a three-hour session. And if you do one song, it doesn't matter. They don't call you for one song. If it's a union session, you've got to be there three hours, you get 750 bucks. Right. So I just said, hey, I'd love to hire you for a three-hour session, write you a check for 750 bucks, and... Would you be up for playing this one song? I'll send it to you. And they all went, sure, man. The only thing I was a little curious about was with Joe Satriani, he was, and still is, the leader and writer and main artist. And my brother and I will go and play on his album. So the Joe Satriani album, if it has Greg and Matt on it, then all of a sudden Greg, it's kind of like Charlie Watts does a solo album with Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, you know. Yeah. So, or Stuart Copeland does a solo album with Sting and Andy Summers. Wait yeah. a minute. So I'm going, this is going to be a tough cookie because I can't just go out and play Summer Song or something. You know, what am I going to play? Right. He goes, I'd love to do it, but let's do something left to center. So my brother said, what if we write a really abstract, jazzy, modal kind of John Coltrane-ish, you know, and he can use like a jazzy sound. Right. And he went, man, that sounds great. We got Robin Ford to play a Texas Blues Shuffle, Steve Stevens to do kind of like a 
Foo Fighters, There Goes My Hero kind of vibe. Yeah. Doug Bosty, we were in a band called The Mustard Seeds. Right. My brother Matt and I and <laughs> Doug and George Bernhardt, we were in this band called The Mustard Seeds, our original band. So we kind of went for a vibe like really heavy, King's X kind of with Beatley vocals and all that. Sure, sure. So everybody, Frank Gabali, we played a real funky tune and he played super great funk with blistering solos and Tim Pierce, who I do a lot of sessions with, he did a really super beatly uh, guitar part with all these backwards uh, sitars and just right. amazing. And so everybody on there just did a really great job. That's really cool. You know, how did the... I have two words to say about that album. Mm -hmm. My brother. Yeah, yeah, Matt. Let's talk and about. He wrote all the songs. He goes, "What kind of album do you want to do?" And I go, "How about this beat?" And how about this beat? How about this? How about this? And he just took my drum beats that I wanted to do and wrote complete great songs. That's it's not cool. like a fusion album with just silly grooves and solos. All those, I think every song on there is a verse and a B section and a chorus and really good melodies, you know? Talk about a little bit um, about Matt. You know, growing up, you 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 guys have uh, throughout both of your careers have literally been tied at the hip as you go through every step from gig to gig and from Maynard to your solo yeah. albums and whatever. Talk to us a little bit about Matt, man, because this this he he seems you know he's just a genius. You know, he I think he is a genius. He's literally my favorite songwriter. He mm -hmm. just that guy can just pop out songs. We've worked with Ringo together. We worked with all kinds of people, David Lee Roth, Satriani, Gino, tons and tons of people. He can just write, sit down, he's got perfect pitch with the mustard seeds. He lives down in Anaheim in Orange County and he'd drive up to LA and by the time he got to our studio, he would have written a song in his head and taught it to the whole band. Hmm. The drum part, the bass part, the guitar parts and the vocals and the harmonies and all the lyrics. He has perfect pitch, and he can just sit and write. There's one thing he'll never forgive me for, and that's when we were probably, I was about 10, and he was about 8. And I snuck in the bathroom while he was taking a shower, and I poured a freezing cold <laughs> water on him. And he, to this day, will never let me live that down. <laughs> what are brothers for, man? <laughs> what are brothers for? Exactly. <laughs> you know, a second ago, we talked about Steve Lukather and his Luke album that you played on. And, uh, you know, there's a couple of tracks on Submarine that when I heard them, they, they kind of have a distinctive sound that's, that's reminiscent of some of the tracks that's on Luke's album, that being that sort of uh, thinned out grunge vocal, you know, with a heavy driving and somewhat, you know, staccato part guitar parts, you know, and cool. one of the tracks that comes to mind uh, is the title track, Submarine. I mean, was this a sound that you carried over from, from Luke's album? Because there's, there's a little similarity in the style. It's sort of almost like a, I don't know, if you listen to like, uh, what's the song I was thinking of, Eddie? We played oh, it earlier. Geez, yeah. um, so, not Love the Things You Hate on Luke's album, but... Uh, there was another one I forgot. There was another one on there, I can't remember, but uh, do you know what I'm talking about, though? It has that, like that yeah. thinned well, out... When I was on the road with, with Toto, every night we'd go to the top of the bus, these double-decker buses, and we'd listen to King's Axe. And we just loved that band. And okay. Mike Tabor's thick guitar tone and those beatle kind of things. Yeah. And that's, that's where Luke really shines. That's where my brother really shines. And they're, and we just we love the Beatles. We're Beatle fanatics. We're, we're suckers for a great song and great guitar tone. Right. And if, if those kind of songs were kind of modeled after anything 
with submarine. They were modeled after King's X. You know, currently, um, you know, Greg, you've you've been incredibly busy, and I know that uh, my, one of my questions that I've got is, you know, how and when do you? I know you're teaching, you know, in school right now, and how do you make time for the lessons? I mean, in education, teaching uh, young drummers and and so forth. You know, how do you fit all that into your the session work that you're doing right now? Well, I don't teach that much. I basically. Uh, I basically teach for Cal State Northridge, and I just give a handful of guys, uh, I think, six lessons over a couple months. So mm-hmm. it's not any big deal. But what I do that's really fun is my daughter is in third grade, and I bring my drums over to her class in the, in the uh, music class, <laughs> and I talk for a class and tell them all about drums. And then every day that I'm not booked in the studio, I go over to my son's junior high, and I pull the, the seven drummers, percussionists out, and we go into the choir room, and we work on rudimental pieces and percussion ensemble pieces. In fact, I wrote a Christmas one with Joy to the World and Little Drummer Boy that we worked up, and these are like sixth graders that have never read music, never played a paradiddle, and it's just a blast. And that's all for free, just because it's a chance to hang out with my kids, you right. know. That's very cool. And, you know, one of one of your lifelong dreams uh, was to play like you mentioned earlier, was to play in a band similar to uh, the Beatles. And in 2005, I think it was 2005, you know, your dream sort of came full circle as you hooked up with Ringo Starr's band and, and mm-hmm. you, you toured the States and and even performing some Beatles tunes with, with Ringo. I mean, how cool was, a, I know, <laughs> how was an experience I know. like that? Jeez. Just so cool. You know, there was a, it all came about through a friend of mine, Mark Hudson, who produced a bunch of Ringo's albums. And he, he told me it was actually 2003. There was a 2005 one, as you mentioned, but there was one before that, in 2003, and he said, hey, man, if Ringo's son, Zach, doesn't do this promo tour where we do, you know, Conan, Regis, uh, yeah. Leno, Letterman, all these shows, Good Morning America, if, he does, if Zach doesn't do it, you're going to get the gig. And I, my jaw just hit the floor. And I did the 2003 tour. Then I did the 2005 tour. Then I was in Ringo. I said, well, I love playing double drums with you, but, you know, the only way, I'd love to have you in the All-Star Band, but, you know, to be a prerequisite to be in the All-Star Band is you've got to have two top ten hit singles that you sang. And I said, well, Ringo, that's never going to happen. And we laughed. Well, in 2008, his manager called and said, uh, Ringo, you had a lot of drummers with two top ten hit singles. He wants you in the band. So I was like, wow, you know, what a blast. That's funny. That's great. <laughs> well, tell me, you know, you just mentioned a little bit, but tell me about working with Ringo. I mean, you had the opportunity to drum alongside with him, and he's, you know, he's definitely one of the most famous musicians in the history of popular music. And what are your thoughts about Ringo as, as a musician? Well, he's not only one of the most famous musicians, I think he's one of the greatest musicians. He is my favorite drummer of all time because the songs he played on and the way he played them and what he made those songs into would not be the same if he hadn't played on them. He's on like 250 or something Beatles songs, all of which I love, every song. And he's really got his own swing, you know. He really, he has his own feel. When you play double drums with him, you're just in his good peace and love vibe, you know, and it's like, (laughs) it's just really, it's like putting on your favorite pair of warm, comfy slippers or the jeans that are just been washed a hundred times and and it just feels so right, you know, it's like, his groove is so right, the way he plays, so musically, puts the fills in the right places and has the right groove and it's just, it's really 
like a dream come true. I hate to say that coined phrase, but it's just, (laughs) they're playing double drums with him, or playing while he's out front singing, and I'm going, I'm playing with the guy that in 1966, when I was seven years old, went to Olympia Hockey Arena, where the Red Wings used to play before there's (laughs) Joe Lewis, and I saw the Beatles, and all I could think about when I was seven was, holy cow, I'm in the same room as the four of those guys. (laughs) Right, exactly. Well, I guess to wrap it up, you know, it's 2010 and it's the beginning of the year. And I'm just curious to know what's your outlook for 2010 and what kinds of projects do you have coming up? Yeah, really? Well, uh, let's see. The, the, the Izawa thing, um, again, tomorrow, my brother and I are doing. And then tomorrow night, have you heard of the NAM show? You probably know about oh, yeah. the NAM. Oh, sure. yeah. Uh-huh. Tomorrow night in Anaheim is the National Association of Music Merchants where all the people in the world, it's not mm-hmm. national, it's international, where all the people in the world that own music stores converge on Anaheim. And I've always been a strong Christian, and uh, I've been doing these worship seminars where Abraham Laborio and I and oh, the guys from Jackson, Quinnia, Jr. Sure. and Kirk Whalen, we, Kirk Whalen, we go around and we teach church drummers and church musicians how to be better at what they do. So tomorrow night, the NAM people, some, some light bulb clicked, and they said, you know, we can make a lot of money off of Christians because there's a lot of churches, a lot of big mm-hmm, churches, sure. and they have a lot of instruments, you know. And so, and they have bands, and they have offshoot bands. So NAM has opened its doors, and they've given us the Anaheim Hilton Pacific Ballroom. That's cool. And we're going to be doing a huge Christian concert there tomorrow night. Paul Beloche, Lincoln Brewster, Paul Jackson Jr., um, just going to be a really awesome concert. And so that's, that's tomorrow night, and it's free, and it's for everybody to come to. I know we won't be online before before that, but it's going to be a really cool event. And then um, next week, I'm actually recording with David Lee Roth again, which will oh, be yeah. fun. We're going to go in the studio and do some work. And I'm sure I'm going to be working more with Ringo again. Wow, that's cool. Every, that's everything's right. just, I, I couldn't couldn't be more blessed, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Well, that's cool. And, and, and just... On your own, on a personal level, are you uh, putting together another album for yourself? I, do you have any uh, plans to maybe do another solo album anytime soon? I'd like to do one, but I'll tell you what, man. Submarine kicked my patootie. It was like <laughs> so much work to put yeah. on. And I, even though my brother produced it and he mm-hmm. wrote the songs, mm-hmm. just, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit, little bit of a, of, a, of a picky guy when it comes to the mixes and sure. yeah. who's playing and what we're playing and how we're doing this. and. And it was just such a project that I delved right into a two-disc, four-hour DVD called Musical Drumming in Different Styles uh, five years ago. That was another epic thing that took like a year of my life. So I'm kind of just enjoying being mm-hmm. the side man. You know? It did good, yes. That's awesome. You don't have to think so much. and you, you go there, you get the check, and you go home and hang out with your kids. Right. That's very nice. Well, listen, I'd love to do in the future. I'd love to do another one in the future. Yeah. I just don't know when. Yeah. We do want to mention that if anybody wants to contact you, uh, if somebody has interest in hiring you or your brother Matt, they can go to your website, gregbissonette.com. And uh, there's information where they can get a hold of you because I believe uh, you're, you're still interested in some time uh, people calling you up for, for some work, right? Man, I'll tell you what. If somebody wants to hire me for mm-hmm. a session, yeah. I'll give you my number, my phone number, as long as it's not like... But I probably get a lot of, hey, dude, I met you at the yeah. Chicago NAMM <laughs> show 20 years ago. My name is 
Bob Smith, you know. Yeah. And but I'd even give my phone number out yeah. if I knew that it was guys that wanted to hire me. Exactly. Um, well, we'll just leave it at that then. They can leave it on. Contact you via the well, website. What would be good would be Facebook. Probably is good. Yeah, and, yeah that's good. Um, yeah, you could definitely put uh, put my website on there, and you could <laughs> say. Um, you know, they could email me. I could. Sure. I don't know how we should do that. If I no, should give out my, yeah, well, the people give out my email. Okay. It's Greg Drums, G R E G G, D R U M S at AOL dot com. Gotcha. You could just say if if someone's serious about wanting to hire me for a recording session, they mm-hmm. could email me. Great, sure. Know, but but somebody screens my email, so they, I can't really do a lot of personal stuff. Yeah. You know? yeah. Okay. Sounds good. That? Would that be cool? That's, That's perfect, fine. Man. That's fine. Well, thanks again, Greg. Okay? We appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much, guys. Hey, take right, care, you're Greg. Welcome, Greg. Thank you. Care. See you, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Greg Bissonette for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Also, very special thanks to the Inside Music Cast correspondents, Scott Gross, Kim Riley, Max Zape, and Brian Pearson. And check out our new website at InsideMusicCast.com where you can join in on forum conversations about the musicians we cover here on Inside Music Cast, as well as a variety of other music-related topics. You can also catch up on past interviews, read the Inside Opinion blog, and check out bonus content that we'll be posting often. Find us at InsideMusicCast.com. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast.